Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Merry Christmas. Uh, we are the second uh, week of Advent now. We have the great opportunity to have Advent readings from many of you within the church today. Our Advent readers are uh, Brian and Sarah Ivankovich. And uh, is, this, is this first Christmas together? Second? Man, yeah, second Merry Christmas. Man, it's went fast. Okay, I'm going to get out of the way. There's a microphone right here. How do I light this thing with? There's right here. What is this? They're called matches. Oh, it's this that. great new invention. <laughs> I've never seen this before. It's pretty far out. All right. Okay. So do you want to light the candle first? or? Okay. Okay, so on the first Sunday of Advent... Wrong candle, hon. Wrong candle? Oh, go yeah, there you go. <laughs> the so on the first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. And on the second Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of peace. Lord, the day is drawing closer for celebrating your birth. We are overwhelmed by the enormous love you have for us. We stand in awe of you and the way you revealed your plan long ago through the prophets. May we daily think about your words and the revelation of your everlasting covenant. We are justified only because of what you have done for us. Prepare our hearts to rejoice in and spread your, your love all the days of our lives. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that which we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. John 1, 9-13, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thank you, Brian, Sarah. And uh, we got a couple slots open in the next couple weeks. So if you want, you can check the back and maybe sign up your family or uh, you and your significant other or you and your kid or just you by yourself. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to attend to the public reading of Scripture, which the Bible commands us to. Amen. Uh, good morning. Welcome. We're continuing our series on doctrine. This morning, we're starting a new one through uh, December. Because we're approaching Christmas, it'd probably be good if we talked about Christ. So uh, we're starting our series on Christ and a couple different angles of doctrines with him. And uh, we thought it best to start with the doctrine of the deity of Christ, uh, Jesus as God. Uh, a lot of people want to say he was just a teacher or just a carpenter. Um, 
uh, I would argue he was probably actually a mason rather than a carpenter because builders used stones mostly back then. Anyways, uh, was he more than that? And that's what we're going to prove today, I think. Uh, but you're going to help me decide whether we prove it or not because you're going to have a Bible or an outline or a pen. Our ushers are coming forward and passing those out. You can get their attention. Prayer request cards as well. Any of that stuff that you need from either Fernando or uh, Mr. Towson, then um, then you'll be all set. So just get their attention. And then we're going to be looking uh, at a couple different passages here. For those of you um, who are not used to it, we go through, pa- we actually read the Bible at church here. We go through passages at a time. Uh, usually it's just one. Today, I'm breaking the mold. We're going to do two, not big one, two big ones, just two different ones, because I want us to make sure how we got here. How did we get here to Christmas? And that's what we're going to try to cover. But first, we're going to pray. So if you would uh, bow with me. Lord, thank you for this morning. And thank you for Christmas. Lord, thanks for all the secular things that it represents. And I do mean that. Thank you for lights and gifts and materialism and all those kind of things that we get to enjoy. At the same time, Lord, help us to understand, honor, enjoy the more important things of Christmas. What it really stands for. And namely your son. This morning, uh, our time in your word, how we talk about it, gives honor and glory to uh, your son being the center of it all. And so I I pray that you be with us in this time, honor and bless it. Uh, May we glorify you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen? Amen. Uh, You know how we got here? Uh, Somehow, Matthew, first author of the New Testament, first author, gospel author, when and you put it in order, um, they decided to put his book first. And you know what he decided to put first? Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, basically, I want you to know how we got here. Now, in the Bible, that's called a genealogy, right? Those are the really fun sections to read. So-and-so begat so-and-so and begat. And you're thinking to yourself, one, this is tedious, and two, no one says begat anymore. Uh, but it's in there for a reason, to make sure we understand where he came from and, and how did we get him. And so Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 1, is where I want to start when we talk about, is Jesus God? Uh, many people will buy that Jesus was man. I'm going to make the argument for you today that Jesus is actually God and that it's super important to you. Maybe the most important thing to where you're going to get to a place where now you got trouble with the humanity of Jesus. Well, he couldn't really be man then because he was definitely God. Scott showed it to us Sunday. Then I'm going to come around next Sunday and prove to you why the humanity of Jesus is also important, just as important. Uh, so that's our next, that's today and, and next Sunday. Uh, but let's get started with Matthew chapter 1, and then we're going to jump over to Colossians when we're done with this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, This is the genealogy of who? Okay, so we know what we're talking about. The Mashiach, well, it's the Hebrew word for Messiah, the son of David, because he would have to come from the kingly line of Judah, and the son of Abraham. Why son of Abraham? Well, because son Abraham precedes even Judah, right? Tribes didn't even show up till Jacob, right? Here, Abraham, why him? Because he's the first uh, promise. 
I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to go to a land that I call you, and I'm going to make you more numerous than the sand on the sea, stars in the sky. You're going to bless nations, and I'm going to bless you for it, and we're going to start a relationship. This is Matthew tying all of God's promises and all of his major works all together and saying, this is where it started. Okay, uh, skip down 14 verses of so-and-so begat so-and-so, all right, 14 verses of 14 generations between this one and this one, and then 14 more between this one and this one, and then we're going to get all the way down to verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Verse, uh, skip verse 17 so that we can get to 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And here begins the story of Christmas. I think it's poignant, important, significant that Matthew would start with this story. It tells us what's the most important thing. This is where we're going to start. And he says, uh, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, we know what that means, right? Okay. Uh, she was found to be pregnant how? Through the Holy Spirit. Okay, and now you should be officially confused. Why? Because we just spent eight, uh, 17 verses telling you where Jesus came from through this long genealogy. And then we get to verse 18, and he says, no, actually, Jesus came from the Holy Spirit. Which one is it? It's both. It's a great beginning to the dichotomy of is Jesus God or is he man? Because you got arguments for both. Matthew's going to be very clear. Matthew's going to paint the picture that Jesus is God, period. He's got some human ties, and we can follow a genealogy. But most important, number one thing, Jesus is God, okay? Uh, verse are we 19 now? Yeah. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, as if any divorce is quiet. <laughs> Why do you laugh? <laughs> uh, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the... Okay, now we got it for the second time. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give, to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. How many times does Matthew tell you that Jesus is God? He says Holy Spirit from the Holy Spirit, and then a second time from the Holy Spirit, right? Guess what? There's a third time. What? Where is it, Scott? Right there, last line. Because he will save his people from their sins. Who can forgive sins? God alone. Jesus can't just be man. Three times, they always come in threes, right? Somebody was telling me the other day, hey, got two different job interview options. I said, great, get ready for the third one. What, what are you talking about? I only need one. No, they come in threes. Right here, Matthew wants to make sure we know three different ways Jesus is God. Okay, <clears throat> all this took place to fulfill what the uh, Lord had said through the prophet: the virgin will conceive and give birth to the son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I thought that was a Mexican name. <laughs> 
No. They stole it. They borrowed it. It's actually a Hebrew name. A little Hebrew lesson for you. One, what does it mean? Parentheses, which means God with us. Right? But a little Hebrew lesson here for you. Look at Emmanuel, the word. Last two letters, E-L. Anytime you see that in a Hebrew word, it's, uh, it means God. That's actually an abbreviation in the word to draw attention to the bigger L word, which is a big title for God. Some of you might know it. It is Elohim. It's the powerful name of God. Right? We got Abba, like Father. You know, we got some other names that mean Lord, things like that. We say Elohim. That's the big, heavy, like, woo, power. Like, make a really big stone and carry it around, right? Um, it means that guy with us. The big, powerful God is with us. Um, and by the way, who, who, who gets this name? Jesus. His name actually means God with us. Now we're at least four ways into Matthew arguing that Jesus is God. When Joseph woke up, okay, ready for one of my favorite funny lines in the Bible? Okay. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Wait, that's not funny, Scott. It's hilarious. Because if you had been visited by an angel in a dream when you woke up, you'd do whatever he said to that's an understatement right there. Took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until he, she gave birth to a son, fulfillment of scripture, or prophecy, excuse me, and he gave him the name Jesus. Another fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word, amen? That's how we got here. This is Matthew's take on the story and what's most important to him. Uh, now, uh, you like a good story? I like movies. I like stories. Here's where I get frustrated. I go to a movie or I hear a story somebody's telling it, and I get confused. Now it's like I got the story, but I'm stuck. What do I need? What do I need? You see the story, or you, you, the movie, you hear the story, and, but you're still a little confused because a couple pieces are made. You don't understand it. What do you need? You need someone to explain it to you. I heard somebody say, I'll say, what was the other thing? I need it interpreted, right? I need an explanation. I just gave you the story, Matthew. Now Paul's going to give us the explanation. What does this mean? Let me help you understand it, right? You ever watch a mystery and then by the end of the movie, you don't know who did it? I want my money back. I want my two hours back. If, you don't, if they don't finish the story, <gasps> right? But I get to the end and I find out who did it and now I want to watch the movie over again. Why? Because now I understand how it plays out and, and I want to watch it again to understand it better. That's my best like street explanation of why we need Paul. Because we get the stories of the gospel and then we get 13 books from Paul saying this is what it means. And I want to pull my hair out. Well, actually, you have, right? Uh, when people say, oh, no, we got to get rid of Paul because he's this or that or whatever, they come up with all these weird little things like, no, he's trying to help you understand it by explaining in ways. And if you think you're offended by a couple little things, how about you read more and get the big scope of what he's trying to say and give the dude the benefit of the doubt. He's got one of the jo hardest jobs ever. Explain the gospel. 
right? And I think he did a pretty good job of it. Uh, so let's look at Colossians chapter one, just 11 little verses here. Okay, and this is Paul uh, talking about what happens to us now that Jesus is on the scene, has died, risen from the dead, and conquered death, forgiven sins, that whole thing. Because that's happened, let me explain to you what that means, is kind of what Paul is saying, starting in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, Back to that earlier phrase. Who can forgive sins? Only God. Here's Paul pointing it out, right? He's the one that can forgive sins. He must, be, uh, he must be God. In fact, let me explain it to you more. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The concept of who we know him to be but have yet to see, we got a visual manifestation. Now we know why Jesus became man. We needed a manifestation because if we can see what was formerly invisible, it helps us understand. It helps us follow along, right? It's like listen to the soundtrack versus watching the movie. I mean, the soundtrack is good, but the movie, why do I need the soundtrack? I get all the music in the movie. I'll take the movie. Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, please be clear, some other religions use this as he is a creation because he's the firstborn of creation. It's a title, folks, not a literal. When we talk about the firstborn, are we talking about who was born first? No, usually when you talk about your first kid, you just say, yeah, they're my first kid. You say, they're my firstborn. It's like, wow, are you talking in ancient terms as if they have all the birthright stuff? Because we thought that passed away. That's what we're talking about when it says he's the firstborn of creation. Of all of creation, he's the highest is what we're saying. Well, let's qualify that. In fact, Paul's about to. For in him, all things were created. What do we just call him? Don't say God. Use the light. We just called him creator, didn't we? Any, any of you around for creation? No? Anybody related to anybody who was around for creation? Know anybody who was there at creation? Say yes. If you know Jesus, even a 1%, this is saying he was there for creation. Things in heaven and on earth, invisible, visible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things. How many? have been created through him and for him. Through him, act of ability. For him, act of title or position. You know any humans that all things have been created for? You know any of them? Not a single one. Do we have any examples of this in scripture anywhere? None, save one next week when I prove to you that Jesus was human. Right? By the way, at the end of this week and next week, you're going to go, wait, how could he be human and God at the same time? And I'm going to say yes. And then I'm going to leave. <laughs> and you're going to go off to have the rest of your Sunday. Because that's a question you're going to ask God when you get to heaven. Even the wisest thoughts of man are but foolishness to God. There's some things we just, we got to live in the mystery. Right? 
Uh, through him and for him, verse 17, he is before all things, status, position, and in him all things hold together. Who holds all things together? Only God. Paul is explaining in uh, multiple ways, several different angles, right, uh, who Jesus really is. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Can I get an amen? Right there? You know what just happened? I just got let off the hook. I'm not in charge. I love when people say, hey, where's your church? I just kind of crack up inside. I'm not running this deal. I, I forgot Advent reading for service. That's, that's who your pastor is. I did. I just, I, I got up. We did the announcement, the whole thing. Here I am ready. I, I start going. And here are the Smiths in the back, all dressed up, their kids dressed on, the whole thing. And Judy's in the back going, hey, Scott, Advent reading. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the best things in your life is that I'm not running this church. <laughs> you know what would fall apart? Half the things Jan has to remind me. Julie has to remind me the other half. Right? It's a good thing I got Jan at work, Julie at home. Otherwise, I'd be a mess. Right? And this is why uh, never on anything that says Rock Bible will you ever see the phrase head pastor Scott Bergland. Because I'm scared of that verse. He is the head of the church. You'll see lead pastor because I'm kind of leading at times. I try not to as much as possible uh, and need help. Amen? Uh, what's that mean if he's the head of it? He's the head of a worship body. Who's the only person we worship? God. Another argument for why Jesus is God, right? He is, uh, he is the beginning. That sentence doesn't make sense in English. What does that mean? He is the beginning. The Bible says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and then uh, I want to ask you the question, what does it mean that he is the beginning? Okay? Now, your homework, take the rest of your life figuring out what that means. Because I don't think there's a quick easy on that one. And the firstborn among the de- from among the dead, that probably reference to him conquering death at the cross, so that in everything he might have supremacy. When it comes, does is God qualify in the category of everything. When you think about everything, is God part of everything? And if Jesus has supremacy in everything, that means even God, he would have to be God in order to have supremacy over God. Geez, Scott, there's way too much circular logic in here. It's okay, let's move on. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Whoa. That's the verse. Top of your outline, it says Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through uh, 23. And it says something about, you know, is there a doctrine in the house, series, part 8, whatever, God in Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And what's the verse? Number 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. It might be a little bit different translation on your outline, but it's the same verse. That's the one we need to understand. 
because that's going to help us make the tie to next Sunday. When we start talking about Jesus as human, what does that mean? Well, that's mean the fullness of God or deity dwells in a human. That's pretty awesome. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, that's the human side, through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says, this is who you're worshiping. This is the gospel. Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Messiah. Therefore, Jesus, God. And do you know what just happened to you? Verse 23, you just got ifed. I hate being ifed. Hey, you know, Scott, I'd love to help you if, oh, no, now there's a condition. You heard the the, uh, phrase, a conditional phrase, if, then, yeah, all this stuff about Jesus, right? And then verse 23, like fifth line down, dead center, long line, two small numbers, two, three, and then there it is, if. All the stuff about God's provision, forgiveness of sin, who Jesus is, if you continue in your faith. <gasps> your relationship with the Lord just become conditional? Jeez, God, I, I don't know what to say. I've heard my whole life that God loves us unconditionally, and yet you're just making a big deal about conditional. Let me try to explain it for you, okay? God's love for us is unconditional. Amen? Amen. Our experience with him is not. I love you. You're the only person in the whole church, either service, that said amen to that. And it is why our culture is a stinking mess. They don't understand that there, there are conditions to obedience. If you obey, it pays off. If you listen, it actually worked. I love in the video, Dave Ramsey, I was a mess. I lost almost everything. I turned to God. And guess what? You know what he said right then? It worked. Does God love you unconditionally? Yes. Is your experience going to be conditional on whether you act it out, hear these words of mine and act on them, believe, profess, serve, sacrifice, give, all of those things matter. Hold your tongue, control what goes through your head, decide where you spend your money, where do you go, what do you avoid, how do you act, all of those things matter. And I love that Paul points that out. Because one of the tragic pieces of the doctrine of the deity of Christ is that you could miss out on it. You could miss out on his unconditional love. And logically, that doesn't make sense. But it is how it works. Because you get a choice. Wait, I thought all things were predestined and determined by God. Yes, they are. 
Well, then how do I have a choice? Excellent question. Take the rest of your life, figure that out. You know, I heard, I heard uh, back in about 2006, Tim Lundy, senior pastor, Fellowship Bible Church, Little Rock, Arkansas, no longer there. He's actually down in Los Gatos now. If any of you move down South Bay, you have to go to that church, okay? It's one of the few requirements of Rock Bible Church, okay? If you move down there, you have to go to his church. Anyways, uh, we were having this little discussion. It was off the cuff, in passing, in a hallway, something like that. And we we're talking about uh, the difficulty in understanding predestination and, he, and free will. And I'll never forget this because it got me thinking for the last 13 years. He said, you know, I think even harder than that is understanding how Jesus could be God and man at the same time. In fact, when I, when I figure that one out, then I think I'll start working on the predestination free will thing. Go, Ooh, a much better dichotomy for us to spend our time on. Because the ramifications of, of Jesus being God and man for us are way better than you having choice in the midst of his predestination. Way better. Blessings, or pun intended with Christmas, way better gifts for you when you think about Jesus as God. Amen? Uh, let's find five things and let's fly through them, okay? We're going to set a new uh, world land speed record. Here we go. Uh, Jesus is God by is our little phrase we're going to start all of them with. Okay, Jesus is God by prophecy. We saw Matthew twenty, uh, Matthew twenty-two, uh, verse twenty-two. By the way, in our passage, basically said this was to, say, to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Uh, we should know that Jesus was coming. We should know that Jesus was God because God told us long before He even came on the scene. From the beginning, Jesus has only functioned as God. And his boys have been trying to tell us about that. His girls have been trying to tell us about that. Do we have female prophets? Oh, that was an unacceptable answer. Have we had female prophets? Okay, good. God is not gender bias. I hope you figured that one out. But prophecy tells us that. And when he tells us that, it's actually referencing this great... Thing. We hear it at Christmas all the time because it's such a great Christmas passage. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For the fill-in, we're referencing just 6, but I want to read for you because we're in sermon 6 and 7. Right? For uh, uh, To us, or most of you have heard it, for unto us. Right? Most of the time you get a translation, for unto us. Don't worry, when we get closer to Christmas, we'll fix that. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And then watch this one, Everlasting Father. How does the son become called the Father? Well, that doesn't make sense. See, the Bible has errors in it. Wrong. You have errors in how you understand it. And you must have missed our series on the inerrancy of Scripture from last week. Got to go back and take a look at that one. Prince of peace. How does the king be a prince also? Right? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Like everlasting, right? 
Uh, and then the last part of verse 7. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness for that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty, Elohim, Lord Almighty probably is what that's being translated from, will accomplish this. This is gonna happen. And here Jesus comes on the scene. It's meant for us to know that God is showing up on the scene and it's proof by prophecy. Okay, that's number one. Number two, really we take from that same verse we just read and also uh, from verse 22, Jesus is God by name. Right, verse 22 of Matthew 1, what did I say? I said, Emmanuel, and then I said, I give you a little Hebrew lesson, right? What is it? God with us, E-L, stands for Elohim. His name, Messiah, Savior. That, that root of Jesse, that line of David, that, that descendancy from Abraham, it's all meant to tie us into the idea that this is his name. I gave all my kids the last name Berglund. Gee, why'd you do that, Scott? That's the dumbest question ever. Why do you name a kid after yourself? So you know his nature. It's in his name. Same thing with Jesus, all right? Colossians 1, 15 and 19 give us this idea that Jesus is God by nature, Right? Verse 15 says it. Uh, verse 19 is the one I put at the top of your outline. And then Colossians 2, a chapter later in Paul's same book, verse 9, says it this way. For in Christ all the fullness of de- deity dwells in bodily form. Now Paul said it as clearly as possible two different time and changed the word structure so you wouldn't think he was just quoting the same sentence twice. So that you'd get the point. What's the point? Christ is God. Jesus is Lord. They are the same. There's many ways to say it, right? Jesus is God by nature. Number four, uh, Jesus is God by position, right? 17 and through 19 in the Colossians passage uh, it says it kind of this way, Right? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In everything, he might be preeminent. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's his position. But watch this. Verse 13. Now, you don't have this on your outline, because somehow somebody cheated us. Okay, I'm gonna give you a little second service extra here. Now I had Steve add it. See, uh, behind the 13 and the verse references, there's parentheses with a little question mark. Because I wanted to make sure you looked at verse 13 and, and kind of asked this question, right? Now someone pulled it off when we printed it, and I'm not sure how that happened, but we're gonna find him and flog him. <laughs> verse 13. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What's problematic with that little phrase? The kingdom of his beloved son. Who owns the kingdom? The son. It's the kingdom of the beloved son. Shouldn't that beg the question? Hence the question mark. Whose kingdom is it? (laughs) 
And would the kingdom be anybody's other than God's? Say no. It has to be God's. See, it's Jesus' position. You know, that's why Jesus as Lord, as God, as deity, is why we have the little scene. We got these nativity scenes everywhere, right? I love when people ask me, which one's the right one? What? I don't know. Does it have Mary? Does it have Joseph? Does it have Jesus? Right. But is this popular because a baby was born? A human came on the scene? How many times does that happen a day? Is it, hap- is it popular because it happened in a stable or a manger where animals were? No, that probably happened before too. Why does this guy show up? Because a, a human came on the scene? No, look at this guy. He's a good looking dude. He probably could get a date. He, prob- he looks pretty able-bodied. He must be working. He's taking care of sheep. Why does this guy take all the options? He shows up on the scene for this. Why? Because something special was going on? Not because something at ordinary or average. Not because another mason joined the planet. Why would these guys show up? Look at them. Gifts, crowns. They got all their robes on. These are good-looking guys. They're pretty important. Hey, why'd you come? I heard God was going to be showing up. Really? Good job. Why'd you come? No, I'm blowing glass. <laughs> hey, can you translate for him? Sure. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try. Por que estás aquí? Why are you here? El hijo es de Dios. El hijo es el, es el hijo de Dios. It's the son of God. I think there was Latins at the nativity. I bet you there were different languages going on because they came from different places. I make a joke to make sure you understand. People who didn't understand, had no reason to fully get the language or whatever, showed up on the scene, not because a human was there, but because God came on the scene. And when that happens, everything gets better. Everything gets better. In fact, number five happens, right? Jesus is God by ability. Verses 15, 16, 17, 20, 22, all give example to things that only God can do. I'm not going to read them all right now, but I need you to understand. Because Jesus as man showing up, Boring, useless, unless he's God. If he's God, well, now we got something. Because now he can actually do some things, right? If he was the one that created all things, what could he do now? Anything. To not reference him, to ignore him, to do Christmas with just lights and ribbons and presents without Jesus, without worshiping, without understanding, without teaching your kids or giving someone else the opportunity to understand about it, you are missing the whole point. It's like trying out for the team, making the team, going to the team meeting, getting a uniform, getting a schedule and showing up to the first game and not playing. All that stuff is nothing. The fun part is when they blow the whistle and the game starts. Folks, the game has started. And we are playing with God Almighty. 
everlasting father, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He's doing crazy, amazing stuff in these stories so that it can be explained to you so that what? You can have a cool frame of reference and understand the thematic parts behind the red and green and white of Christmas. I know what the candy cane stands for. Who cares? If it doesn't point back to Jesus and it changing your life because you're having him involved in your life, you're talking to him and getting around people that do, you got the uniform, but you don't play in the games. You got white cleats. You got white cleats. Alex, you remember this. When we were kids, a kid shows up on a soccer field with white cleats. Oh, you're on the team, but you don't know how to play. Now they got every color of the rainbow of cleats out there, and the thing doesn't, and all the young kids, they don't know. Half the kids are wearing white cleats. They think it's cool. But back in our day, cleats were black, and that was it. If you wore white, ah, kind of hoping I can put you on a different team because I don't want to play with you. If Jesus is God, what could you have him do? What are you waiting for? Where could you stand up? Where could you get your hands wet and your feet dirty? What could you invest in? Where could you serve? What could you say? Who could you influence? Because Jesus was just a guy is one of the greatest lies of the devil. It is one of the worst things that we just let slide. And to have Christmas without Jesus is the same thing. It's an absolute tragedy. It's like getting married at the courthouse. I never thought of this until just now. If you were married at the courthouse, God bless you and amen. And are you married? For sure. And go, will God honor it? Yes. But why would you ever do that when you could have it done at a church with a pastor? or on a lawn with a pastor, or on a beach with somebody who loves the Lord and does something Christian at your wedding. It doesn't have to be an actual pastor. And here's what I hadn't thought about till today. If you got married at a courthouse and you want to redo it, I'll do it for free. Let's get Jesus back in your marriage. He's in it now. Don't be like, well, Scott said Jesus is in my marriage because I stood before a justice of the peace. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, if you want that little nostalgic kind of piece, call me, Jan and I, we'll get some stuff together. We'll work it out. Amen? Amen. All right, let's wrap it up. Lord, thanks for uh, your son. Thanks for sending us more than a carpenter. Forgive us, Lord, for being stuck, distracted, in our own desires and wants and responsibilities and pray, Lord, that you would make yourself evident for us in all things. That you would, like the verse eight, that you would become preeminent in all things. That you would have supremacy over all the things in our life. Not as a punishment to us or a way to limit us, but as a way for us to access all the things you're capable of your ability 
to have influence for good in our lives and the people around us from this moment forward. Thanks for being God with us. And thanks, Lord, for this offering. Pray you use it to help us promote your son as God. We pray this in his name. Amen.